Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about great 401k options that just aren't a fit for every plan sponsor. Um, you know, in life, uh, there are a lot of great op- options in 401k plans that just for many reasons just it can't be a fit for everybody. But of course, first things first, that 401k conference coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona, Chase Field on May the 10th, Tuesday, May 10th, Miami. Lone Depot Park. We will be there on Friday, June 24th. Um, and then we will be, I believe, on Friday, October 14th in Charlotte uh, at Bank of America Stadium. Um, and of course, go to that 4 for further information on all the events, how you can sign up. Phoenix, looking forward to it. Um, we're trying, you know, trying to see if midweek gets better attendance. Uh, we got special guest Luis Gonzalez, who for a lot of Yankee fans, um, they'd rather forget about Luis Gonzalez. He had the game-winning hit in 2001 World Series, which, um, you know, I'm a Mets fan, but for Yankee fans, that was the beginning of the end of the Yankee dynasty. And more importantly, you know, in, in terms of being a New Yorker, it would have been a great story uh, right after September 11th for the Yankees to win. But, you know, Luis, Luis Gonzalez got in the way of that. Uh but anyway, let's go back to the topic at hand. Um, you know, whenever you buy something, um, you know, you're being oversold things that you don't need, like an extended warranty on a cheap Blu-ray player or etched glass on, on a new case. Um, it's always funny that there's so much money in that extended warranty stuff. And I, like, a, like a kid, I was stupid. I like bought like an extended warranty on an IEWA. Um, Walkman, you know, it wasn't a Walkman because only Sony, that was their brand name, but, you know, a portable cassette player that uh, went, you know, pretty quickly and, you know, the warranty didn't cover it. But you're always being oversold a lot of things. And in the retirement plan business, we have the same thing where people, I think, are oversold things that they don't necessarily need. Um, you know, and I always laugh about etch glass. Etch glass uh, was, I don't know if they sell uh, do that anymore. At least when I buy cars, it was never offered. But etch glass was back in the late 80s, early 90s when car thefts were a big thing. And of course, unfortunately, I think now, at least in New York City, they're, they're a bigger thing now than they were maybe, you know, five, ten years ago. Thanks, Mayor de Blasio. That's my political comment of the day. Thankfully, he's out of office. But anyway, etched glass was that, you know, you're when you bought, bought a car, you're being sold these things that you really didn't need. And one of those things was etched glass where, oh, you know, uh, it'll have like a serial number. So if your car got stolen, and the whole thing is if your car got stolen and, you know, you just don't want it back because you don't know what shape it's going to be back. But etched glass was supposed to uh, deter thieves or whatnot. But uh, when it comes to retirement plan options, there really isn't a fit for everybody. I don't care what anybody says. What's great for most plans isn't great for all plans. I think people need to realize that. And number one is Safe Harbor 401k plan design. I love Safe Harbor 401k plan design. And uh, I came along right when it was starting. I started in September 98. First year that they had it was January 1, 1999. Uh, the notice, I want to say, was notice 9852 was the IRS um, rulemaking that you know made it part of retirement plans. And then I think extra made it permanent as part of the code. Uh, 2001, that's a little ERISA history for you. But uh, before 
we had safe harbor plane design. If a plane failed the discrimination testing, you know, they had to do what they had to do. You know, they had to do an ADP refund to the highly compensated employees, which, you know, not terribly popular and probably more unpopular to the employers that would have to fund it. You know, they would do a CUNIC. And uh, I love the idea of the safe harbor plane design. You know, uh, you know, the problem, obviously, with the safe harbor plane design is the cost of it. Uh, 3% non-elective, 4% match. Um, you know, you can now, thanks to the SECURE Act, uh, give the contribution after, you could give the non-elected contribution without a notice, and it can be done after the year is over. So when we, prior to 2022, um, you had to do it prior to the beginning of the year. So you didn't have that look back where if you knew you failed, you can add it at the last minute. Now, thanks to the SECURE Act, you can add it after the end of the year. You just have to bump up your non-elective from three to four. That That isn't offered. The safe harbor plane design, again, I, I think it's a great tool. But listen, it's only for the plane sponsors who really need it. Somebody who's fl who's uh, passing with flying colors, the ADP and ACP test, why, why would they need it? Um you know, it just absolutely makes no sense. And then, you know, still to me, the plan design that uh, will never make any sense to me is I remember working on um, one advisor's group of plans and the advisor really, I don't know if even though they're still in business, but I did a lot of work for their clients years and years ago and they would have actually a cross-tested plan with a safe harbor matching contribution which actually made absolutely no sense because you can't meet, you can't use the matching contribution uh, for the minimum gateway of a cross-tested allocation. So it really you know, didn't make any sense. And, you know, like with every other option out there, you know, it's not a, a plane design that's for uh, everybody. Next, pushing only 401k plans. Um, you know, 401k plans have obviously been the uh, main, you know, private employment retirement savings vehicle for the past 20 some odd years. Everybody, everybody blames the 401k plan for the demise of the defined benefit pension plan. Don't blame inanimate objects. Just blame cheap employers. Employers figured out, why do we have to fund the employee's retirement plan, uh, the employee's retirement, when we can have the employee do it with the bulk of it through 401k salary deferrals? Um, the problem that I see with the proliferation of 401k plans over the last 30 years is that there are just many plan providers who just push 401k plans exclusively, and that's because they don't really have a very good practice outside of 401k plans. They may just be a daily 401k plan shop. They don't handle non-401k plans. And listen, a, a cash balance plan works really great with a safe harbor 401k plan. Same thing with a you know regular DB plan. Um, you know, while I always recommend that plan sponsors always adopt a 401k plan, it doesn't mean that it should be the exclusive plan that they have. If they could afford more, better for them. Perfect examples years ago, um, I met a lawyer who was, uh, had a simple plan, I want to say, or a simple 401k plan. And he asked, he was getting a $300,000 settlement, and he thought, what was the best tax savings vehicle for him? And I said, how old are you? And he says, 75. And I said, wow, you know, a defined benefit plan is obviously the great tool. So for that year one, he was able to save $230,000 on the DB plan. Uh the problem, obviously, is too many plan sponsors out there hire a third-party administrator like a, a payroll provider, like our friends, the two top payroll providers in the country, who really don't have a, a, a deep knowledge of plan design. So they don't 
consider the uses of you know outside retirement plans. Um, you know, Kravitz is, is a very good firm. Uh, now they're a part of Future Plan. Um, they were always great at designing uh, in tandem with uh, 401k plans, safe harbor 401k plans, cash balance plans that just really were able to save a tremendous amount of money for the plan sponsor. Next, automatic enrollment of 401k. Um, you know, obviously, um, again, around the time that I started in the business, there was this thing called negative election. I think it came out in 99. Uh, negative election uh, would allow. Um, I think it was might have been it was a revenue was a it was a revenue ruling. Um, taxpayer who I believe was a franchise restaurant fast food restaurant went and designed a negative election where they would withhold three percent of salary deferrals for those who didn't affirmatively opt out of the plan. Hence the negative election. IRS approved it. They went along with it, so we started adding it to plans. The problem is prior to uh, PPA 2006, um, it wasn't part of the Internal Revenue Code and there was no fiduciary relief for plan sponsors that allowed for um, participant direction investments. So that was a big problem. So we would put the 3% in, uh, I want to say, in a, a money market account or maybe a stable value account. And I, I just didn't like it. I just thought it was something out of uh, the Soviet Union. <laughs> I actually use that term. What is this? What is this? Communism? You're going to take people's paycheck and you're just going to plop it in a money market account and, and not have it grow just so you could um, jigger your uh, ADP test to pass? It just doesn't seem right. But of course, um, PPA came along in 2006, the Pension Protection Act, for those who don't know the acronym. Uh, it added automatic enrollment, turned negative election, changed its name to automatic enrollment. You know, George Carlin always talked about euphemisms. Automatic enrollment sounds a lot more positive than negative election um, because it doesn't have the word negative in it. And the beauty of the change in 2006 was it allowed fiduciary relief through the QDIA, the Qualified uh, Default Investment Alternative. So you can, you know, have an automatic enrollment feature with a sliding scale and you could bump it up to way more than 3% and you had relief if uh, all the money went into a QDIA. Okay, so the reason I hated it is out the window and one of the funniest stories that I tell people is around the time I was part of a producing TPA shop and I sent out an email that said, you know what, as a producing TPA, this is something that we really should push out to our clients. That was in 2006. Uh, I haven't heard back from them. Uh, they're out of business, so I'm still not going to hear back from them. But automatic enrollment, like Safe Harbor, doesn't make sense when you have a high participation rate from the lower paid people, or you know, just the high paid people as well. Um, you know, ADP uh, test. If you're you're failing it, automatic enrollment is one feature that you could use it to help bump up. Safe Harbor plan designs another. But if you have no issue, it's of no use. And, you know, one of the, the fights I would have with people about automatic enrollment is the idea that employees would knock on the door of their HR director demanding that their money get turned back. Quite honestly, history has shown that that's not the case. First of all, employees tend to be passive, uh, passive-aggressive. You know, they, they're all nice to their bosses and they talk badly about the bosses behind their back. Unfortunately, I was not one of those. I was an employee who 
said it to their face, and that's why I'm on my own for the last 12 years. But it's just not a great feature for everybody out there. It's just, it's not. Next is the discretionary corporate trustee. Um, the corporate trustee is great when you wanted to save on the um, plan audit, um, limited scope audit, which is kind of going bye-bye. And um, To me, a corporate trustee is a waste of money. Uh, outside of that, if your plan doesn't require an audit, it's a complete and utter waste of money. Uh, as long as you have an individual trustee sign off on it, it doesn't protect the plan sponsors whatsoever. You know, it just has somebody sign the checks. Um, I don't see the need for it unless the plan, you know, require an audit. And I'm still trying to figure out if there's still a cost savings with the phase outs of the limited scope audit. Uh, you know, it's only for those who don't require an audit, it only makes sense for obviously those plan sponsors where an individual just doesn't want to serve as plan trustee, which reminds me when I started working out. Um, I work for a TPA firm. Actually, I work for a law firm affiliated with a TPA firm. We were on site. They wanted us, uh, one of the partners of the firm wanted to add me to the escrow account, and I refused. Because why? Because Marge, the paralegal, said there's about eight ten thousand dollars of user fees that uh, they can't account for. And as far as I'm concerned, I wasn't a named partner. I ain't signing it, so I refused, and that was that. Next on the list of things that plan sponsors, you know, not a great fit for everybody, is a 316 plan administrator. Uh, I think it's a great fiduciary service. I always say the 316 uh, was the TPA's response to advisors using 338. I think it's a great opportunity and great level of service. Allows the plan sponsor to hand off the day-to-day -day administration to somebody who's going to be responsible. And, you know, with something, everything out there, uh, you know, being a... a, a you know, offering a 316 isn't a right fit for everybody. We, I, I know quite a few plan sponsors over the years that were quite effective in the day-to-day -day administration of their plan. They were up to snuff. They were on top of everything. And there was absolutely no need whatsoever for them to go out and lay out the expense for a 316 administration. Um, any plan sponsor that could effectively handle it, there was no need for 316. Absolutely no need. Um, and... Again, most plan sponsors I work with probably could use it, but you know, over the years, there are quite a few that don't. You know, you have an HR director that's a qualified pension administrator, qualified 401k administrator, the QKA. Um, it's always funny with this business. You never get, you never know every acronym, which is still funny. Talking about acronyms, uh, that advisory group. I don't even know if they're still in business. They actually created their own acronym. Um, I, I, I won't make it up, but, uh, it was also funny because that advisor also created their own church, but that's, uh, neither here nor there. I feel like sometimes I'm on the Rockford files with all the, uh, uh, squirmy people in this business that you come across, but when you have a, a risk of practice and you run into so many plan providers uh, once in a while, you, you, you run into somebody who, uh, you know, kind of reminds me of, uh, Angel Martin from, uh, the Rockford files which I'm currently watching on and off on Peacock, which is a great treat. I love that show. Last but not least, uh, 401k, I'm sorry, 338 fiduciaries. Again, I, I always loved it. When I first heard about it, I want to say 15 years ago, I thought it was the greatest thing. I thought, wow, you know, 
338 will take over the day-to-day -day fiduciary aspect of the plan. Most plan sponsors would be well, uh, would have a good idea to get one. I always liked it. Um, I have a friend of mine, James Holland, who uh, was one of the first people I knew that offered it. And one of my favorite quotes that he told me, he said he was, uh, he had a potential client in Long Island. You know, James is based out in Charlotte. James, you know, comes back to New York area every now and then. I'll actually see him next week. And uh, he told me that the, I think the broker on the plan, the existing broker said, oh, you know, 338, it's just a marketing gimmick. No, it's not. It's not a marketing gimmick. Uh, plan fiduciary takes on the responsibility. Um, it's no brain surgery to figure out what the 338 fund lineup is going to look like. But the ERISA 338 investment manager is, you know, the, has the full say over the IPS, the investment uh, options. It's a great fit, but it's not a great fit for everybody. Um, there are a lot of plan sponsors that are just, you know, really up on the day-to-day -day administration. So I'm a 316 administrator on a $30 million private school 403B plan, an ERISA 403B plan. And the advisor, who's fantastic, is still only serving a 321 capacity. That's because the plan sponsor, the private school, has a very on top of investment committee. They just didn't want the responsibility of the day-to-day -day administration. So they hired me, and they hired the 321 advisor. I got hired based on the recommendation of uh, the uh, plans uh, TPA. So again, it's not a right fit for everybody. I know so many clients who, quite honestly, uh, know more than uh, certain TPAs when it comes to day-to-day -day plan administration. So it's not a right fit for everybody. And I think that you know you have to be honest uh, when marketing out to plan sponsors. And if you're a plan sponsor yourself, there isn't a magic pill that can fix everything. There isn't a magic pill out there that is a fit for everybody. You know, it's like tailoring suits. Uh, I'm going to speak tomorrow, uh, so by the time this drops, uh, will have, uh, will have happened, hopefully. Uh, speaking at Connecticut um, Financial Planning Association, I mean, at a conference, I'm talking about PEPs, and so I'll be wearing a suit for the first time in two and a half years. Uh, luckily, uh, I think the suit will fit. We'll find out next. We'll find out tomorrow. But uh, you know, uh, the funny thing about suits is you can take it off the rack. But, you know, I, I've, I, I've always had to have a, a, a suit that's fit to me. I have very uh, anemic shoulders. Um, they used to have to build shoulder pads uh, to my suits. Um, you know, you got to take in. Um, instead of letting out, uh, you know, it was kind of painful in those days when I was a little heavier and you had to let out suits. Uh, I did work for about a year in a men's clothing store, so I know about letting out and taking in. But, you know, you got to take a suit, buy it off the rack. I always buy a Joseph A. Bank, especially when they have deals, you know, 125 150 bucks, you get a real nice suit. Spend 50 60 bucks on alterations, and voila. The same could be said about invest, uh, 401k options. Um, you just can't take it off the rack and put it on you. You have to see if it's the right fit for you. And a lot of times... These options that a TPA is going to sell you isn't necessarily the right fit and could be uh, unnecessarily expensive. You know, uh, safe harbor costs money. A 316 costs money. A 338 costs money. There's no need uh, not having a, a, a plan in addition to a 401k plan. That might cost money as well. So um, 
that's really the lesson for today. And, um, and for those tuning in, I hope you come back next week. And of course, in the interim, check out that foreigncasesite.com for further information on all our live events. Take care. Bye.